Are they able to turn to God and say, Lord, I'd like my life to be uh, without trouble. And like the Ephesians, God may be saying, I do care about you. I'm not done with you yet. But when are you coming home? When are you coming home so I can get you back to your first love? Everything will be all right. God is so good. I've always said this. God could be, in my mind, the most powerful being in the whole universe. The most spectacular feats done like none other by God. Adonai, Elohim, Yahweh, all the different titles and descriptions of God. There's no one else. He told Moses, I am that I am. I will always be what I always am. I will be what I will be. No one can stop God. He can just wow, strike wonder and awe and terror at the same time. We know my comfort with knowing the living God is L-O-V-E. I know He loves me. And this is what caused me to cry growing up when I felt all alone. Even in the midst of a fairly good-sized family. Certain times, those are God-ordained moments when you know that this is not the solution. All that I want is not bound in having more people around me or all the money I could possibly desire, all the fun things to do. The vacuum is filled by the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's His love that draws us. And His love teaches us that we can trust Him when we're humble before Him. You know, in this world, we can seek to be humble because it may be a pragmatic approach that you humble yourself, or at least appear to be so, then you get favors done for you. When it comes to God, you can really trust Him that He will never take advantage of us. He will never shortchange us. We can safely trust our hearts to Him. And He will meet every need, restore, bless us. Praise be to God. I'd like two other people to pray before we hear the word from Proverbs this morning. The principles of life and how God wants us to live life, how to view life and people, how to interact with other human beings, sometimes it's quite counter to what we may feel and think, quote-unquote, intuitively is right. God shows that His wisdom is on another level altogether and when we change our direction to His wisdom, do things His way, we see the result is the abundant life, protection, prosperity. And the prosperity is prosperity of the soul. That's God's primary concern. He's not happy when His children suffer with lack of finances or lack of different things that have to do with this material world. God is a good father. He will provide. The main concern is provision for the eternal welfare of the part of us that is immaterial and will continue forever. Long after this body goes. The soul, the soul. 
Praise be to God. Proverbs 29. There are a number of things here about how to raise children as well as how to be a good child before the Lord. We can see that also. Sometimes we can read the Word of God and we can dabble here and there and miss the substance that God has for us and we become malnourished. We become impoverished unnecessarily and we begin to float through life one hand on the steering wheel while we try to fight to give God the right to have the other hand on the steering wheel, his hand. But the best way to ride, to fly, is to let God be the pilot. God needs no co-pilot. And so the Proverbs have good things to say, bad things to say, positive things and negative things. I need to come to God and say, Lord, fill my plate with all of it. I'm not going to pick and choose what I'd like to hear. If you think something is good for me, Lord, you know it's good for me. I want all of it. I need it, Lord. So the very first verse, we've looked at the first few verses, but let's read it again in context. It begins with something that is negative. What do we do with this? Do we say this is not a good thing to read in the morning? God's word is profitable at all times, all of it. We're faced with this proverb. To say, Lord, show me what it is that you want me to derive from this. God always has something. Proverbs chapter 29. I'd like to ask a few of you to read, actually. Let's give it a quick read. Chapter 29, and there are 27 verses. Three of you, nine verses each. Please go ahead and read slowly and clearly. And just state the version you're reading from before you begin to read. Proverbs 29, New King James Version. He who is often rebuked and hardens his neck will suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when a wicked man rules, the people groan. Whoever loves wisdom makes his father rejoice. But a companion of harlots waits his wealth. The king establishes the land by justice, but he who receives bribes overthrows it. A man who flatters his neighbor spread a net for his feet. <coughs> Excuse me. By by transgression, an evil man is snared, but the righteous sings and rejoices. The righteous considers the cause of the poor, but the wicked does not understand such knowledge. Scoffers set a city aflame, but wise men turn away wrath. 
If a wise man contends with a foolish man, whether the fool rages or laughs, there is no peace. The bloodthirsty hate the blameless, but the upright seek his well-being. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Carmel. Um, whoever else is going to read, you can start from verse 10 also. The next uh, nine verses, please. Proverbs 29, New King James. The bloodthirsty hates the blameless, but the upright seeks his well-being. A fool vents all his feelings, but a wise man holds them back. If a ruler pays attention to lies, all his servants become wicked. The poor man and the oppressor have this in common. The Lord gives light to the eyes of both. The king who judges the poor with truth, his throne will be established forever. The rod and rebuke give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. When the wicked are multiplied, transgression increases, but the righteous will see their fall. Correct your son and he will give you rest. Yes, he will give delight to your soul. Where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraints. But happy is he who keeps the law. Amen. Praise God. Next person you can read. A servant will not be corrected by mere words. For though he understands, he will not respond. Do you see a man hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. He who prepares, who, he who pampers his servant from childhood will have him as a son in the end. An angry man stirs up strife. The furious man abounds in transgression. A man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will retain honor. Whoever is a partner with a thief hates his own life. He swears to tell the truth, but reveals nothing. The fear of man brings a snare. Whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. Many seek the ruler's favor, but justice for man comes from the Lord. An unjust man is an abomination to the righteous, and he who is upright in the way is an abomination to the wicked. Praise the Lord. Praise God. So we have a collection of principles here, directives, commandments, cautions. And as we've been looking through the book of Proverbs in the past few months, we see so much that we have perhaps never seen or have forgotten that would keep us in the right path where we can flourish. That's God's intent. God always warns us because he cares for our protection, our blessing. And we see, as I mentioned at the outset, that you have quite a number of allusions to child-rearing and how to bring the children up. So we've dealt with the first several verses. Let's start read now for or from verse 8. I'm going to read from the Amplified Version. Scoffers set a city afire, 
but wise men turn away wrath. In the brackets there, it says, inflaming the minds of the people. We had charges, actually, in current events and in recent times of people in this very country pointing fingers and blaming people for a rebellion, right, where the capital is. Literally setting fires in more ways than one. It's written, a wise man turns with wrath. We're not commenting on who's right and who's wrong, but the general principle, when we see things happening, we need to trace the motive, what is happening actually. Sometimes we don't have all the information, but it's best to learn from it. Nonetheless, seeing what could have happened and how could I be a peacemaker? How could I approach a hostile situation, an adverse situation, with peace in mind, being led by the Spirit of God and not inflamed by my, by my own passions and opinions? Wise men turn away wrath. They seek to pacify as much as possible those who are hostile against them. We see our Savior, meek and lowly, even when he confronted people who were hypocrites, religious hypocrites, who called upon their lips his glorious name, the name of his Father, that they were doing the opposite, and he had to speak up, defend his Father's honor, and expose them, that they're misleading people, blind leading the blind right into the ditch, and they are the Bible teachers of the day. He had to speak up, but even then, you see, perfect self-control. Even when he overthrew the tables of the money changers. Some of these gospel films, they depict him as out of his mind. So angry that he's lost control. That's not the case. If you ever read anything or heard any sermon, whether in commentary or heard a sermon or seen a movie, a film depicting the life of Jesus, we must remember he's God. He's not just a mere mortal, although he was 100% human. He was in perfect control because he was under the control of the Holy Spirit. He said, the zeal of your house has eaten me up. He knew every coin that was going to fall to the ground, every uh, animal that was driven out. Everything was done exactly, precisely according to the Father's will. There was no loss of control. A wise person will know that he or she desperately needs to learn the ways of Jesus Christ by yielding to the Word of God, being in the Word of God, listening to the Holy Spirit's counsel, not his or her own thinking or other people's thinking or given to emotions. It's been said that best not to make a decision, especially a major one, especially a pivotal one, when your emotions are high. It's better to get calm as much as possible, unless it's an emergency situation, of course. But on the whole, to be calm and reflective and step back as much as possible from the situation. Especially, we believers have the great privilege of turning to God, asking Him to help us. Wise men turn away wrath. But the people who don't have wisdom, they'll be like the school kids during a fight in the schoolyard or on the grass after school, inflaming each student to fight until somebody is really hurt. It's an evil spirit. But you can see this in families too. 
We ought to be the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Verse 9, If a wise man has an argument with a foolish man, the fool only rages or laughs. It can go either way. But the result is there's no rest. You can't reason with a fool and expect peace without divine intervention. Because the Bible says, Answer not a fool according to his folly, otherwise you'll end up looking just like him. Don't deal with him on his terms. At the same time, it says, Answer fool according to his folly, otherwise you'll allow him to think that he's right and he'll go on his merry way with pride and truth won't be heard. We need the guidance of the Holy Spirit when to speak, what to speak, to whom to speak and how to speak. The Bible also says when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies, among them could be fools, to be at peace with him. That means God's hand is over our life. We don't ever have to worry. I'm going to have to speak to this person today. This boss, this relative, this stranger, this enemy. We need to be like David and say, but I'm going in the name of my God. I have God behind me. I have God with me. He's going before me. He's hemmed me before and behind and all around. He's with me. Who can say that with confidence? The one who has faith, who really believes, who's really been talking to God, has a tight relationship with God. No fear of man because the fear of man brings a deadly snare. It's a trap. It'll cause people to do things, say things, think things that are not pleasing to God. Just like wrath would. Book of James it says the wrath of man doesn't work the righteousness of God. What a beautiful way to live, to be like Jesus, to be meek, peacemaker. Give the benefit of the doubt. Give room for other people. Don't get uptight. There as I mentioned, there are two kinds of people when it comes to people having volatile emotions and reactions, eruptions. One person you can see it right on the face. You can see it in the perhaps the color of their skin changes. You can see it with the way they have the body language. Another person looks like nothing's phased him or her, but inside the eruption is still the same, if not worse. God doesn't want that externally or internally. His design is that we are under the control of the Holy Spirit. And we can if we want to. We can be at peace doing God's will. Verse 10, The bloodthirsty hate the blameless man, but the upright care for and seek to save his life, to save his in brackets in the Amplified Version. The people who do right will appreciate and support the people who do right. Just like Jesus said, light has come into the world, but men loved darkness rather than light because if they come to the light, that which is not right in God's sight will be exposed and they're going to have to deal with it. So what do they do? They seclude themselves. Leave me alone. Let me deal with myself, with myself, by myself. End up lonely all by themselves. Never helped. And that's a tragedy of tragedies. We come to the Lord, as we said at the beginning. We can trust Him to teach us the right way. And then we will rejoice in righteousness. We will be one who brings God's presence to the scene wherever He places us. 
just like Joseph. And Pharaoh had to say, the officials had to say, is there any other men like this in whom the spirit of the gods dwell? All they knew were gods, but they recognized there's something different about this man. We can bring righteousness to the scene. And God will rear up people. We won't always be alone. The majority of the people will not support us, even if they flatter us. Internally, they'll be angry. A person who calls for justice or speaks righteousness, they won't be popular in this world. But among the crowd, God will have people, just like he told Paul the Apostle. Paul, don't fear. In this city, I have a lot of people. Don't worry. You'll have the freedom over here. What an adventure to walk with God. Oh, He speaks to us. He comforts us. He shows us what to do. All the time. Praise God. Proverbs 29 11. A fool utters all his anger. But a wise man holds it back and stills it. This world teaches us, express yourself. There are people who are educators. They may be teaching the children and parents. There are those parents and guardians that will teach the children to fight. You know why? They'll say, because you've got to speak your mind. You can't let him do that to you. Have you ever heard that? Even adults talking to adults. You can't let her do that to you. Who does he think he is? In flame. Rebellion. Sometimes. And all the time. In sight. I call the battle. Not making peace. We need to remember that God's mercy is on us. And if it weren't for God's mercy, we would not be able to live or do anything. Someone's unmuted. If you can just check your lines, please. Whoever's unmuted, if you can just mute your lines. So a person may be encouraged and taught in the public school system. They may be taught at home, even in so-called Christian schools. I've worked in the Christian school. I've seen worldly attitudes even there. And the sad reality is, under the guise of expressing yourself, and don't you bottle up what you feel or your emotions or you will burst at one point like a hot water bottle. We just can't take anymore. So to prevent that, what do you do? Let it out. That's not God's solution. God's reality and solution is not that He calls us to suppress anger, bitterness, so that we don't self-destruct. He says actually what comes from the heart comes out of the mouth, it causes destruction anyway. So the solution is not to hold it in or to hold it out. The solution is to get it out from the inside out by the agency of the Word of God, the instrumentality of the Word of God and the help of the Holy Spirit to see. The cup inside has to be clean. If it's clean on the inside, there's no trouble about the outside, Jesus said, when it comes to spiritual matters. This is why we preach the Word as it is over and over again that we need to examine our hearts because that's where the real person is. That's why God looks at the heart. That's why he told Samuel, the Lord doesn't look as man looks. Whether the person's very mannerful, 
timid looking, humble in speech. God looks right at the heart because many people who are timid looking, humble in speech, mannerful, are actually monsters on the inside. It's a chameleon drama that's going on to adjust to the situation, to blend in. But the solution is not there. But God says, we don't have to be in that mess. You can be such a person that what you see is what you get and it's not bad. It's good. We can deal with the problem that makes us feel like we want to burst out. The fool utters all his anger, but a wise man holds it back and stills it. Again, we need to understand, this is not saying the wise man has anger and causes it to sit there and brew on the inside while keeping the peace on the outside. Because elsewhere you see that the wise person has a gentle tongue, carefully chooses the words. And Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks, you can only parade around so long before the truth comes out. The tip of the iceberg cannot conceal the massive destructive structure underneath for too long. Some ship will crash into it eventually. The true nature of that iceberg will be seen, the tip of it. There's a whole lot going on on the inside. God says, you can be clear on the inside. So the wise person is not just someone who holds back the anger to have it brew on the inside and fester, but actually he dissipates it. He deals with it. It's not from God. How do we deal with it as believers in the 21st century? We have the authority if we are children of the living God to say to the spirit of anger, there's a spirit behind it. The Old Testament doesn't reveal a whole lot about those dynamics, but the New Testament does. We see spirits inciting people to do things. The whole city, a spirit of rebellion, a spirit of disobedience in the air. It can come to you. It can come to your home if you allow it. Do you realize there are evil spirits around the house? They're looking to see if there's an opening somewhere. But the person who prays, the house that prays, the family that prays together, stays together, they band together, they decide true prayer before God, true worship means we obey His word, His voice. When that's there, the devil can look all he wants to see if there's an opening and never find it. But if there's an open door, a spirit of animosity can come in. A spirit of envy can come in. Bitterness. And all of a sudden the enemy can bring something from 15 years ago and scaffold that and cascade that on top of another thing that happened perhaps quite recently and all of a sudden a person go into emotional turmoil and begin to be angry and vengeful. A spirit of anger has come in. We can dismiss that. The moment we feel something knocking at the door trying to get in, the devil, the devil throws a thought in our mind. Why should you love your spouse anyway? Look at what he did to you. Look at what she did. We know that's not from God. If God says love even your enemies, in Matthew chapter 5, your enemies, even if somebody were to say, well, my wife or husband is acting like an enemy, still, we ought to love. We ought to seek restoration and peace. We ought to be the one to turn the other cheek. We can bring peace. So the heart is where 
the person really lives. That's where the person really is found out. And so God is always dealing with the heart. Even in the Old Testament, in the prophets, he says, go get a new heart. He literally says that. You read Jeremiah, Ezekiel. He says, go get you a new heart. Where, Lord? Where can I buy a new heart? And the answer is, he says, come to me. I will give you the new heart. It takes humility to say, Lord, I'm a mess. There is not a person on the face of the planet, not one individual, in all of human history, that ever was able to come into a relationship with God without saying, I'm a mess, Lord, without you. No matter how refined they are on the outside, how diligent they are, how um, wise they are in this world, by this world's standards, how accomplished they are, doesn't matter who it is, no one comes to God and gets fixed and blessed without realizing the fact, the truth, that without God who is the light, I'm in total darkness, no matter how bright I may be on the outside of the world. I can have sparkling teeth, the best perfume or cologne, flashy dress, suit, everything proper, beautiful voice, charming personality. It seems like everything I touch turns to gold. Come before the Lord. You see a hideous monster. Why? Because we like to be bad? It's because without Jesus, by default, we have death. We're walking dead. We come to the Lord and He changes us. Glory be to God. The longer we walk with the Lord, the more humble we become. And the operative word there is walk, which means agree, obey. Verse 12, if a ruler listens to falsehood, all his officials will become wicked. The responsibility of a parent, a father, a mother, a leader, of a company, a supervisor, you need to exercise judgment. Look at the state of the world. How many rulers do you know? What nation, where, that you can really deem wise? And that's why the world is the way it is. The world thinks when we have a plague, when we band together, we can solve it, we can beat it. We can get together and get rid of the AIDS virus, obliterate cancer. A veritable tower of Babel in every pursuit of mankind. Why not turn to God and say, Lord, weren't you the one that said some 3,500 years ago, it's written somewhere in an ancient document, Lord. What a treasure. Look, it says, I am the Lord that healeth thee. Why not go to God? How about calling an assembly of the UN to seek God? Say, God, we have problems. We have issues. We know we need you. Because no matter how much money we try to gather together to solve a crisis here, crisis, crises are erupting everywhere, Lord, faster than we can even try to address them. Many of those diplomats turn to the bottle, to prostitution, to fantasizing, watching movies and making trips here and there, 
checking their stocks and it's all a show and a game. Not everybody, but quite a number. Why? Because they don't have the Lord. A family that comes under the leadership of the Lord Jesus Christ never need fear of any waste or evil spirits coming in. Hallelujah. What a protection. We need to listen to the truth. Then our children will be growing up in the right way. We're going to read in a, for a little while as we continue to read here. Actually, two verses down. Three verses down. What happens to a child that is not educated in the things of God? which includes discipline. Verse 13, The poor man and the oppressor meet together. The Lord gives light to the eyes of both. It's been said, death is the great equalizer. All of a sudden, all the holdings that a person has, all the property, huge estate, and the homeless man that hasn't anything to his name, virtually, they both are in the same destination. They can't take anything with them. You can try to bury something with them like the Egyptians used to do. In some societies, take whole families and actually kill the spouse so they can be together in death. What an absolute diabolical perversion of all that is basic humanity. Societies do that. How do they become that way? Depravity, pursuing after things that are not God. They became foolish, darkened in their hearts. Romans chapter 1. Getting worse and worse and worse. The Egyptian people, technologically advanced, mathematical geniuses. You look at the pyramids and still a wonder to people today. Architectural feats that are unparalleled. They did all of that. Sophisticated society. But worshipping dogs and cats and rats. And burying physical material artifacts with the ruler when he dies. And some society and civilizations, they used to kill the spouses so they can be together. We need to know this to see how dangerous and how quickly a person, a civilization, a family can go away from God. And all hell breaks loose. But when we come to the Lord, we recognize... Verse 13, God's in control. He's in charge. He's the ruler. He's the creator. He's the sustainer. He's the redeemer. So the poor man and the rich man, typically, the rich is portrayed in the Bible other than those who have real faith like Abraham and Job. As people who tend to oppress, isn't that the case? James says that. He says, who are the people that oppress you in this world? Is it not the people who have a lot God says, I'm watching. I'm the creator. I know what I gave to each one. There's a day of accountability coming. Verse 14, The king who faithfully judges the poor, his throne shall be established continuously. Have mercy on the poor. A ruler who takes care of the poor in his kingdom or in the nation. Not just dole out programs and say we're doing something but really cares and puts himself or herself in the person's shoes. David was such a gentle and magnanimous spirit. He called Mehesheveth, who was discarded by society, 
because of his handicap and he treated him royally. Real feeling, real empathy. We teach our children since they were little. My mother taught me things when I was little. So that if I used to see, we didn't have any handicap situation in our family growing up. But even as a teenager, if I saw someone with a wheelchair, my heart used to go out. I learned from my mother and my experience when I had the asthma and I couldn't breathe and I needed help. I needed my mother to carry me, even as a teenager, just a few feet to the bathroom from my room, couldn't breathe, and set up little garbage pails so I can cough up whatever I needed to bring me hot water. And when I can walk to the window, look out, wishfully looking at the children playing, thinking I used to be able to play like that, what happened to me? God's desire is that whatever we go through, it humbles us makes us more loving and caring. And so we look at the poor and those who are impoverished by handicap, whatever it is, and we say, Lord, what if it were me? Can I afford to look the other way? Oh, well, I have to go to the supermarket. I have to do this. I have to get my hair done, my nails done. I have to go to the birthday party. Now, granted, God doesn't expect us to stop with every single thing we see. But even as we walk away when we can't stop, we ought to pray and say, Oh God, have you done that? Have mercy on that individual. I don't know him or her. Jesus, thank you for your mercy on me. Please help that person, Lord. They may be blind. They may be wheelchair-bound. They may have asthma. They may be elderly. We can utter a prayer from the heart and say, Father, help them. Lord, help them with what they need today, Lord Jesus. And there are certain occasions where we are called to do that. God will lead us. But the point is, where is your heart? Where is my heart? Do I care about the underprivileged? Verse 15, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left undisciplined brings his mother to shame. In the name of love, Many a parent has shown the front door to truth. They believe in giving the child what the child wants all the time, so long as the child can get out of his or her hair, and he or she can go to Facebook or watch the soap opera or chat on the phone with someone. Paul the Apostle says to Timothy how the mother's ought to be godly and understand the great privilege of motherhood and being a wife, similar also to father and husband. But particularly, the mother is presumed to be the one who spends the most time with the child because traditionally the father is outside working. So this can apply to whoever spends most time. But there's something about the mother-child relationship that is unique, of course, and so let's say the parent that fails to discipline. And uh, to be fair, no one can parent a child in the proper way without coming to the Lord. There's not a single parent. Because even if there were to be a worldly person who said, 
Look at how my kid turned out. But he made it to the NFL. He's a professional ball player. He's got money coming in so much and he bought me a house. He bought me a car. He did this and that. Look, he's smiling. He's healthy. He's going to get married and everything's fine. Does he know the Lord? No. You failed as a parent. Your own soul and your child's. Because not only does the person not have eternal salvation, but the decision-making in every value system is warped somewhere. And so that person will become a distributor of Satan's wares, his stuff, in some way or another to his or her own circle and children. Isn't that right? A mind and heart that's not been washed by the blood of Jesus, redeemed and renewed, by default, is stuck with the world's way. And even though some things may seem positive, ultimately, they cannot transmit life. Only the one who's given life by Jesus, a mom or dad who's been born again, and is walking with Jesus, can transmit godliness, there's a potential. Even though ch the child has to make a decision, the influence is tremendous. You just have to look at people like John Wesley or Abraham Lincoln. How they said when their mother or grandmother taught them the word, they saw godliness in that parent. They saw a sobriety, a godly sobriety coupled with a self-sacrificial, tangible expression of love, not mere obligatory parental duties heart to heart relationship so they felt the truth and the love and that's what caused the children to become godly and become world changers and most of all accepted in the eyes of God we need correction and where necessary we need discipline that causes some kind of loss or pain it may be the allowance, it may be a game, it may be something, but there's some kind of consequence. A mother who says, oh well, I'm going to give the child so that this or that, so I can do my own thing. That's a selfish parent. That's not God's way at all. God's way is, the parent recognizes the most precious treasure I've been entrusted to by God entrusted to me by God is my child because this child can either grow to make history for the kingdom of God or make history for the devil's kingdom there are no neutral areas how vigilant at the same time not fearful and walking on eggshells but very happy and privileged to say thank you Lord you've given me a child to rear so they can he or she can become a soldier in your army. Lord, to rescue souls. I want everything I do. It right? doesn't matter if I lose sleep or lose my activity time with this or that. What I want to do with my child has been entrusted to me to raise in the ways of Almighty God. What a gratification will come. What a reward. And God will set everything in motion and in proper place he'll give us our time quote unquote that we need to refresh ourselves and 
because the child will be trustworthy. Let me say in all humility that we have not one moment of doubt with our children even though they've gone to the public college. They have access, Daniel has access to the computer and all kinds of things. Never ever veered off to anything. He's a godly child. Esther's a godly child. They have strong personalities, even if they appear to be quiet and smiling. They have very strong personalities. All of their affection and passion is for the Lord Jesus. We have no worry whatsoever. No matter where they are, we know. They will win souls for Jesus and live a godly life. There's no doubt. The foundation can be laid to that extent where you can safely trust your child with anything, anywhere, knowing that they will, he or she will make the right choices. But you know what? It took for Pascal and I to teach them repeatedly, just like it says in Deuteronomy, when we laid down together, when we walked together, when we sat to eat, there was instruction. It wasn't a hammering down, but a gentle instruction. And when there needed to be correction, when the enemy tried to knock on the door because they heard something from outside and an idea was brought up, we knocked it down immediately with the word of truth. So the enemy has no place. They weren't looking for anything bad, but it's just the enemy trying to see if he can get into this Christian home. He's not allowed. They began to see as they read the word and they saw even Elizabeth who were joking yesterday, matter of fact, when she was about three years old, just to tell people. They, they used to ask on the phone, where is Elizabeth, three-year-old? So cute, where is she? And she'd respond, I'm reading my ten chapters. She couldn't even read. But we set her and the children with the Bible even before they can read. To go through the motion of turning the page so they can get in the habit of a certain amount of time with the Holy Book. Now it's, as we know from Esther's case, quite recently, that's the passion of their lives because they know it's a love letter from God, it's the instruction book, it's everything, it's life. We need to introduce the children to life. We need to deliberately take a stand sometimes, regardless of what the child tries to barter and bargain for. You say no. No. And if the child, depending upon the child, <clears throat> sometimes the enemy can try to intimidate the parent. The child can say, I'll go do this to myself or do this, and I can't wait till I'm 18 to get out. Listen, you're not intimidating me not intimidating God I care for your soul and so does God this is the right way period sometimes it takes a person to be firm other times all we have to say is that's not good for us we're not going to do that and the child says okay mommy okay daddy God will give us the wisdom we need him desperately to show us how to speak what to speak when to speak there's no cookie cutter method to produce a godly child. God will deal with every individual where they are. Just like Jesus. You don't see Jesus speaking the same way to the Pharisees as he did to Nicodemus. One of the Pharisees. The collective group. 
When the one man came isolated, Jesus was firm but gentle. But the others who wanted to show him up and detract from the truth and say all kind of lies, he had to tell them very directly, your father's the devil, watch out. God is so good. I'm so glad our Father's so involved in our lives. He shows exactly what to do, what to say. Even to our own children. So that we can bring them closer to the Lord, not push them further away. For convenience sake. Or for any reason. Verse 16. When the wicked are in authority, transgression increases. Let me just say this. Uh, before we go on with the question of dating how many Christian homes that we have seen the child is in Christian school in church all day long Christian movies or shows got all kinds of Bibles in the home they have devotions they do things together and then the child 12, 13, 14 uh, I need a girlfriend I need a boyfriend now the parent that's wise and has been around and has seen consequences of autonomy to that extent and the desire for premature relationships will begin to be concerned because of all the havoc that has happened to people who ventured out trial and error with relationships how did that happen? Too many Christian homes, the truth is not taught. The standards are not clearly laid down. We need to tell the children, I've done that from when they were very little. Talk, talk to them about marriage. In what way? In this way. To tell them. What you see in the world is, what it, is not what it appears to be. To reinforce this since they are little, that only God knows the hearts of every individual thoroughly. And marriage is a lifetime thing. You don't want to make a mistake in that. Children, it's not for you now, but keep this in the back of your mind. What you see is not what you get all the time. You want what? Proverbs 31 kind of woman. You want a godly man. What is the definition? We go through that. They know exactly, precisely. They know how to pray. They know how to wait. There's no struggle. Adolescent, teenage struggle. Pastor has mentioned this many times. It's only the Christian who is not strongly rooted in the Word, not walking closely with God, that needs to deal with things that are unnecessary. So many so-called Christian psychologists even saying, how to choose a good boyfriend and girlfriend for your child, and how to uh, escort them here and there, how to keep tabs, why all of this nonsense? You don't see that in the Bible, you see courtship, when the time is right for marriage. Now this goes counter to everything that many, many people, even in evangelical circles, cry out against oh but they're lonely they need everybody has that's how we got married does that mean it's right is my experience or your experience if it's not God's will do 
or does the end justify the means? Or do we see havoc? How much money is spent on outfits and going out and, and how many youngsters, Christians, we know, reared in Christian homes, have trouble, even one of the students in the Christian school that I taught over 10 years ago. The parent is a, a pathologist, one of them. Plenty of money, good family. All of a sudden, my son is drinking. We didn't know. He brought in a bottle. We don't know how it happened. I know how it happened. They were loose. Even though they were a good family, quote-unquote. They had their traditional standards, which are counter to a lot of American standards today, contemporary standards. But they never had a close walk with God themselves. Obedience was an option, you see. As long as you have a good head on your shoulders, you make the grade, you have some good friends to hang out with, and you clean your room. What's happening in the heart of the child behind closed doors? A parent is supposed to know the state, the spiritual state of the child at all times, and take action. First, going to the Lord on his or her knees, saying, Lord, may your spirit transform my child. We had a, a lady, actually, who was uh, from another, it's actually a cultic Christian group, but she was healed quite miraculously, we heard, some years ago. It was her, her faith in God, not the uh, group she was with. But nonetheless, she heard some of the morning calls and some of the programs that we have. Very excited. And we bought a Bible for her child, her teenage son, I believe. And she said, uh, yeah, he's a good boy, and uh, I know God's got a call on him. Um, but, you know, when they're at home, he's with his girlfriend in the room. I'm, I'm very disturbed. How did it get to that stage? That fornication is happening. That the opportunities are there. So, so many Christian families and parents are quick to self-justify and put the blame on the child. The good news is, if we have made mistakes, we can go to God ask for forgiveness first and foremost and say, Lord, I'm at fault. My children are suffering because of my sins. Please forgive me. I'm so sorry, Lord. You've given me a lamb and I've thrown it to the lions. Oh, Lord. Can you recover the lamb, Lord? Please. That's God's heart. And as we intercede in prayer where we can't speak to the child, perhaps, God will do great things. Hallelujah. God knows how to corner the offspring of the truly repentant, God-fearing parent who has dropped the ball somewhere along the line. God will bring them home. Hallelujah. When the wicked are in authority, transgression increases, but the righteous shall see the fall of the wicked. Dating. Let me say one more thing. It's not just waste of money and time and defilement of the body, distorting the sanctity of marriage and how many children are born and discarded 
because that's not the person I want to live with. Sorry, Mom, Dad. She went and did something and I just gave her some money to do that. Life is destroyed. And I don't want him to be the father of this child. And I How many evils come out of a casual approach to the Word of God? If we're ever casual with the things of God, we will become a casualty and cause the casualties. We need to write that in stone because it is an eternal truth. If we ever are casual before the holy living God, who is life itself, with regards to His commandments which are life, we will become a casualty and cause casualties. But if we want to be those who convey and transmit life, we need to be very reverent. Reverence God's truth. Every word of God is precious to me. And I may need to sit down one day and go over my life and see where I've deviated from the truth that I knew or I didn't bother to get to know and ask forgiveness for everything with regards to the spouse, to the children, with co-workers, with strangers, with neighbors, with my own decisions about my body, what I did with my body. Why not? How can we ever hope to get close to God unless those things are dealt with? It's not a blanket thing that we come to the cross and everything's dealt with. No. It's dealt with in that the penalty is removed by the grace of Almighty God, but we have to work it out and say, there will not be a repeat of this in me or my generation. So help me, God. Use me, Lord. Where I've offended you before, I want to please you. Hallelujah. When the wicked are in authority, Proverbs 29.16, transgression increases, but the righteous shall see the fall of the wicked. God promises He will intervene, no matter how bad of a government or situation it is. It may be on your job. God promises to come to the rescue of the righteous. He'll always do that. He'll overturn tables. He'll remove people. He's Almighty God. Look what happened with Daniel. All the governments he was working for, God intervened and lifted him up higher and higher. A man greatly beloved of God. Verse 17, Correct your son and he will give you rest. Not trouble. Worries, sitting up late at night. Rest, peace, joy, gladness. Yes, he will give delight to your heart. How? By showering love and gifts and love and sweet words of praise and coddle them. We need to have that for sure, to convey love with everything that's within us. But we need to have the truth and convey the truth. And correct whether the child likes it or not. There needs to be a measure of discipline. Verse 18, where there is no vision, the people perish, but he who keeps the law, blessed is he. We need insight from the Holy Spirit to know what to do. Look at Joseph. God directed him how to preserve the people, including himself, from perishing. He had the plan from God. We need to get out of the box. Think about college and savings and this and that. And We need to just go to God and say, Lord, the only one thing I want, Lord, is that my child is a holy child before you, godly child. Everything else will fall into place. Same thing with us before God. What does the Lord require of you? 
about three plays in the scripture is written to this effect to fear him to obey him do the right thing to be humble walk with him that's all the simplicity that's in Christ is always complicated by the devil with excuses 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 but this if that what about this instead of just saying the Lord said do this that's all it is that's all there is to it because I know whatever he says for me to do for my family is the best because he's a wise father he's a loving father he's almighty a servant will not be corrected by words alone for though he understands he will not answer in other versions it's written this actually verse 21 goes along with this see there's a guidance by the Holy Spirit in truth that we deal with people whether they're employees or children or people under authority in just the right delicate balance of showing love at the same time keeping them within their bounds because if we get emotional or be led by the flesh in the name of showing love and extra being extra nice and giving we may become lopsided in our treatment of the person and actually cause problems may the Spirit of God give you wisdom on this that we need God to show us what to say who to say it to when to say it and how to say it only the Holy Spirit can help us with that only the Holy Spirit and as we walk with God we'll become experts in listening to God like Jesus said doing what I see my father doing and saying what he's saying to me that's all I'm just a transmitter of heaven to bring life to every situation hallelujah we need to start somewhere it starts with saying Lord I don't know I'm a mess I don't want to come to God with a resume look what, what I did God I want to come to him and say Lord without you I'm a mess but with you I'm a giant in the faith by God's grace I can move mountains Lord I can help people Lord people can get saved through me beginning with my own family do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. It's almost self-explanatory, but it needs to be stated and understood and reinforced that we are not that person. It's better to listen longer until we get the whole matter and even give the person space and reflect why is this person uptight now? something's going on let me hold my horses as they say and think about the best way to answer verse 21 he who pampers his servant from childhood will have him expecting the rights of a son afterward another version says will become a son in the end another version says will become a rebel we need to know how to treat everybody the way God wants us to treat them all in love but there's a certain measure that God has for every individual which is according to wisdom so that we don't do what? boost them up in the wrong way or cut them down who is sufficient for that? 
only God. He never makes a mistake. When he speaks, it's perfect. When he acts, it is perfect. That's how it is. He's proven himself over and over again. He's so awesome. Because you and I belong to him, he expects us to be just like that. For that, we need to spend more time with that. With God and his word and pray. Verse 22, a man of wrath stirs up strife and a man given to anger commits and causes much transgression. Have you seen people like that? Have you been a person like that? Somebody says, well, I never threw anything in the house when I got angry. I'm a very calm person. But did the explosion within cause you to say something that you wished you wouldn't have said? Of course, we all have made mistakes. God says, now, let's not do that anymore. That's all. God is so forgiving and loving when we confess and forsake it. Have we ever, without throwing things or saying bad words, withheld love because of anger? It was burning inside, turn a cold shoulder, not answer. God says, none of that will work in my kingdom. That's not who you are in me. I want you to be free from that stuff. I want you to be a person who loves. You can turn the other cheek. You can go the extra mile. Be like me because my spirit lives within you. Listen to the spirit. There will be mighty changes in you. And you know, the people who live with you, they're going to want to know, what is the secret? I know you're Christian. Maybe they're Christians. But you're actually having so much love, so much wisdom. You can point them to your prayer closet and to the word of God a man's pride will bring him low but he who is of a humble spirit will obtain honor humility humility indispensable I got to grow more in humility we've got to say that Lord like we said about holiness a vast ocean we don't just say made holy but brother lamb redeemed saved delivered No, I have to walk in it. I have to learn more of the ways of God. I have to spend time with Him till I actually have no desire whatsoever for anything that is unholy in the sight of God. Not one iota. I have to keep swimming in that ocean. Work out my salvation with fear and trembling. Same thing with humility. I can always look at a before and after scenario, picture, Oh, if you would have seen me last year, someone can say on the call this morning. I was a different person altogether. Someone may say, if you would have seen me three weeks ago, three months ago. Thank God for that. But do we stop there? Should we put a plaques and medals on the wall? Look at me now. The humblest person of the year. No, I have to grow in humility and say I'm not looking for awards. I'm looking how to get more humble before the Lord and before man. And that's something that is seldom taught. We talk about relationship vertically with God. But God says, I'm interested in your horizontal relationship. Some people have their Bible, their prayer closet, their worship songs. And they say, me and God, we have an understanding. Right, God? God says, no, we don't. Because you don't have an understanding with your fellow man. If you claim to love me who you cannot see when you can't love the person you can see next to you, then you need to deal with that. 
because it's just not the case. You need to know how to be humble before people. You know, a beautiful thing happens. We've seen it right here in our church, in our ministry. The Spirit of God with the Word of God is reviving souls that they, all of a sudden, there's a sensitivity to the Spirit. You know what? What I just said is not wrong per se, but I could have said it better to keep in step with the Spirit. I, I realized that. I didn't even realize that before. You know what? The words that I used, it's not wrong per se. I could have used better words. That the Spirit is showing me how to manifest the humility more tangibly. How to really care about my brother, my sister. How to understand my place in the body of Christ, as Paul said to Timothy, that you may know how you ought to behave in the church of God. The Spirit of God does marvelous things when God is present in the meetings. We have seen that. Praise God for that. Because now the channel will be all the more clear, clearer between you and God, and God could really rain down gifts, blessings upon you and your family. Sometimes the Spirit of God will come and say, you know what, you should have opened your mouth, but you kept silent because of pride. Because of fear of man. You say, wow, I didn't realize that that's what the issue was. I thought it was all about what I just felt at the moment. I didn't really even think that it's wrong in the sight of my God. The Spirit of God is working and changes are happening. The church is getting more purer. And God will come down faster. Rain down His miracles. Hallelujah. Praise be to God. Whoever is a partner with a thief hates his own life. And that's how powerful theft is as an evil force. Sin. The person is looking to take his own, her own life. Who would want to do that? It's the one who's deceived. I can get a gain over here. Look at that. Everybody's doing it. As I mentioned before, when I was outside playing one day as a junior high child, we had a, a new family move into the neighborhood. Very pleasant young man, smiling all the time. Seemed to be very giving and sharing. I thought, wow, this kid will make a good friend, great friend. Until I heard something come out of his mouth. It wasn't a curse word. Uh, we were talking about comic books at the time. And he said, me and my family went to Canada and we hit the store up and my sister was talking to this old guy who had the comic book shop and distracting him while I was stealing the comic books. And we came away with a stash of comic books all for free. My heart was horrified because my mother taught me the word of God to the extent that she knew how I had the fear of God in me I thought oh my God what is going on in this child's life I thought he was so pleasant and nice and mannerful and sharing he's a thief he thought he could get me to agree with him that he struck a great bargain by using his wits to steal oh well your loss is my gain. I was horror struck. I wanted nothing to do with that fellow. I knew. It was wrong in the sight of God. 
sometimes as Christians we may take things for granted. Oh, my child knows the Ten Commandments. He knows the Bible. When the time of testing comes, that's when you'll really know whether he really knows God and really knows the Word. Hence, it behooves us to lay the foundation while there's time, very strongly, without letting up or compromising. By the grace of God, with all love, but with all truth. He, whoever is a partner with a thief hates his own life. He falls under the curse, but discloses nothing. Thinks it's secret. Nobody will know. You may think, well, I'm just an accomplice. I didn't really do the thing, maybe. The Bible says the guilt is also by association. You're watching, aren't you? You're not saying anything? Verse 25, The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever leans on, trusts in, and puts his confidence in the Lord is safe and set on high. Praise God. Safety is of the Lord. Fear the Lord and you won't fear any man. If you really fear the Lord, you'll be safe. Many crave and seek the ruler's favor, but the wise man waits for justice from the Lord. It's better to trust in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to trust in princes, people with real authority in this world, to give God all the glory. An unjust man is an abomination to the righteous. The righteous doesn't want anything to do with that. And he who is upright in the way is an abomination to the wicked. The two cannot dwell together. Light and darkness cannot mix. Somebody has to leave their domain to go over to the other domain. That's the only way they can be together. Otherwise, there's hostility. Just like it's written in Galatians, the Spirit of God is hostile against the flesh, and the flesh equally is hostile to the Spirit. The natural man doesn't receive the things of God because to him it's foolishness. To God, the natural man's ways is the real foolishness. What a beautiful thing to have these principles. You know, right there in your own home, you can read the book of Proverbs, explain it to the child, and show how light looks like this. God is light and there's no darkness in him at all. And this is what the world calls lights, a good time, bright future, well settled, and it's all vanity and lies. The child has it established. So the child, when the child goes out somewhere by himself or herself, is horrified when God is blasphemed by word and deed and wants nothing to do with that. You can safely trust that to the extent that you invest in your child through your sacrifice, it's not really a sacrifice, it's a privilege, but whatever we may quote-unquote sacrifice, so the child can really connect with the Lord. Because you fear the Lord is transferred to the child. What a delight the child will bring you. And how many parents, we must say this, I, we can't tell you how many, when we travel across the country and even across the world, parents just lamenting, church-going people, even Pentecostal people, charismatic people. They have all the Bibles and references, and as I mentioned before, all the things that are supposed to produce godliness 
as if by osmosis it's going to happen. No, there's an active involvement of the parent to watch the child like a hawk, even when sitting far away. Why? Because of the care and concern, just like God watches over his people. I don't want the imposter, the deceiver, Satan, to come speak to my child. I want to fill the child with the word of God, the principles of godliness. I want to make my father's heart glad because I did my part. And you don't have to cry. Too many parents who are Christians are crying. Many, 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 many. We've seen of all types and races and social status, financial status. They're crying. They've asked us for prayer, even pastors. Because they dropped the ball somewhere along the line. The Lord said, you'll know the fruit of the tree by the fruit. A bad tree cannot bear good fruit, and a good tree cannot bear bad fruit. The parents may be seeking God, but they didn't seek God enough to fear Him enough to convey the fear of God into the child's bones as the child was being reared in that home, which is a privilege and a duty given by God, responsibility. It doesn't have to be that way. For those who have older children, it's too late, you think. We say over and over again, prayer is a powerful weapon. God can get to them in ways that perhaps you never imagined. In situations, and all of a sudden the child comes home and says, I'm sorry, mom and dad, I've lived the prodigal life. I went to the pigsty, and I'm coming back home, not just to this home, but I'm coming to my father and my God. Your God and my God. I want everything God wants and nothing else. What tears would come down the faces of such parents to hear that and to witness that? But better yet, if the children are still in the home, we can avoid tears. May the Lord bless us with this word. Shall we pray? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for your truth. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Oh, God, we need your word so desperately. I'm so thankful, Lord. I'm so thankful, Lord. I was introduced to the Word of God early, Lord, and even with the deviations, even with the rebellion, Lord. I knew that I can't escape God. Whatever form of rebellion it was, internally or externally, I knew that the truth is going to set me free if I yield to it. I knew that I'm responsible for my actions and the consequences. Lord, even when, Lord, I said a profane word in second grade when I didn't know the meaning of it, coming from another language, and the spirit of disobedience prompted the children to make fun and get me in trouble. Made me repeat the word and immediately told the teacher. I felt so embarrassed that it was a wrong word I didn't know. But I knew I can come to you, Lord, and ask forgiveness. And you made it all right. And Lord, other times when the influence of the world will make me think in a worldly way. What do I need to do to get ahead? 
Maybe I can study more and try different things instead of humbly trusting you. There are times in which the counsel of my parents and the word of God spoke to me to relax, trust God, don't worry about anything. Let him guide you. What liberation came to my soul to be at peace, not worry. The frustrations of growing up in a society that says everything opposite to what God says. There's a militancy against all the truth that we learn, even as children, Lord, with the Word of God, but there's a resilience. There's something transferred. The fear of God. The mercy of God. Thank you, Father. I pray that we would fear you, Lord, more and more in the days to come. Love you with all our minds, heart, soul, and strength. And that the children you've entrusted to our care after we surrender all in our own souls, Lord, will be raised in a different way, perhaps than we were raised, maybe in a better way. So that as the world gets worse and worse, the children become stronger and stronger to be a brighter and brighter light in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation generation. Thank you for your wisdom, Lord, to teach us how to be peacemakers, to diagnose our own hearts, to be people through whom the Holy Spirit can flow right in our own homes, that the family can get better and better, closer and closer to God, to fulfill the destiny God has, not miss it. Thank you, Father. Praise you, Lord, for giving us another chance. We praise your holy name. We love you, Lord. We thank you. In Jesus' precious name, amen.